listening to a Called Collective podcast, where we seek to equip the next generation of ministry leaders. The Called Collective produces multiple podcasts, which you can find in the description below. To learn more about The Called Collective, visit our website at thecalledcollective.org or check us out on Instagram at The Called Collective. Good days. Welcome to the Good Days Podcast with Eddie and Charlie. And folks, just want to let you know that Charlie is still in France visiting his son and his daughter-in-law and his grandbaby. So he'll be joining us uh, in a couple weeks. He's super excited about being back as we will start season three here in a couple weeks as school gets started. But we do have a special guest with us, Dr. Jen Graffius. She is the executive director for the Center of Vocational Ministry at Azusa Pacific. Super fancy title, Jen. Like, did you create this title to someone, or did you inherit this title? No, if I was creating my title, it would be Princess. But <laughs> since that wasn't available, um, no, I'm just kidding. No, that is a new title for me. Oh, okay, I good. Just took over the formal leadership of our center, but okay, yeah, cool. love what I get what, to what, do. What does this center do? Like, how do, the, how do you train students? From what, what is this center? What is this all about? Yeah, well, this is kind of a cool center because it spans the lifespan of people in ministry. So we start with helping high schoolers discern their calls into ministry in our youth leadership nice. initiative. And then within our school, we have this program called Vocare, which walks alongside our undergrad and grad students as they are discerning their calls into ministry and working on their degrees and getting ready to launch into ministry. And then we also have a pastor's division of our center that works with people who are in ministry, helping them stay healthy in ministry. Oh, that's and amazing. Loving what they do and flourishing. So very cool. Yeah. I love that piece. Yeah. Those all those pieces really are great. Now for those of you who who've kind of followed us and know about the current program, because we mentioned that from time to time. Uh, Jen leads basically the current program at Azusa Pacific. So we are kind of contemporaries and we've developed a friendship over the years, which has been fantastic. We've been on lots of different committees together and have traveled around the United States at different conferences. And so that's been fun. But you guys call your current program Vacari. Is that right? That's right. Okay. What's Vocari, what's Vocari mean? Vocari means to call or to be called and in Latin. And so we thought it would be fun to just... That is fun. Instead of saying, do you want to be part of our five-year BA to MA program where you can accelerate your degree and also have fun with people? Or like, just one word would be helpful. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Do you have to explain that to every person that comes to the program? What so what is vocari? Right. Well, we try. So we start out with vocari means to to call or to be called. So if you're on that journey, like, yeah, come join, join us. us. Come yep. join us. Yep. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. So one of the things that Jen and I talk get to talk about from time to time is she is a huge Dodgers fan. Huge. Massive. They're going to win the World like, Series. Insanely fans of the Dodgers and goes to a lot of the Dodgers games. Yeah. And her brother gets these great tickets that she gives Jen all the time, which is amazing. And so, uh, I mean, what do you, tell us a little bit about the Dodgers and how many World Series have they won recently oh and gosh. how many should have they have won oh recently? Oh, my gosh. I can't talk about last season still. It was so heartbreaking to me. <laughs> Best record in baseball not. and don't win the World Series. I die. I die. Like, we should have won all these years past. Like, 
I can't think of a year that we shouldn't have won, have won. <laughs> but um, we did win in 2020. And I hate when people tell me that that was the short year and that's why we oh, won. And it doesn't it count. Kills me. Yeah. No, it totally counts. Okay. Okay. Just want to make I mean, sure. And we can't talk about 2017. Our friend in our current program <laughs> will be mad at me if I uh, talk about the Astros Dodgers situation. So, <laughs> <laughs> I can't handle that either. <laughs> tell, us, tell us why the Astros beat the Dodgers oh, in 2017. Because they are big, fat cheaters. They're cheaters. I saw them play this year at Dodger Stadium I wore my cheaters shirt with the Astros yes. logo so how many of those know. players though from 2017 are still with the Astros I think there's three but anytime a former 2017 mm-hmm. Astro comes to Dodger Stadium on a different team on a different team I mean like give the, me an example um Carlos Correa on the twins okay. so Carlos Correa for the twins and when they come when, he, when the twins come to the Dodger Stadium what do the Dodgers fans do when Carlos Correa comes up to bat they absolutely boo them to <laughs> the point that they cannot. Most of the time, they strike out. Like it is brutal. There's like fifty thousand people chanting "cheater," which <laughs> I may or may not have participated in at some point. But yes, you have. Oh my gosh! There's no forgiveness for the Astros. It's so bad. It's so bad. So bad. And then they win it again. I mean, come on. I That's... just can't believe they won it legitimately. Yeah. <laughs> They must have cheated. <laughs> they must have. <laughs> so some of you may or may not know I'm a Cincinnati Reds fan, and we haven't had a whole lot to cheer about recently. However, this season's been kind of, kind of, kind of fun. They're above 500 they're at fun least for you. They're above, <laughs> they're above 500. They got a bunch of rookies in their lineup. They're doing well, and I think they actually have a winning record against the Dodgers this year. I think they do. Yeah, yeah. Because every time they play, I want to text you, and then I'm like, mm, I can't. I'm not going to talk any trash. <laughs> so over the weekend, uh, Esther and I, and we took our youngest daughter Anna to Cincinnati. This is kind of her last hurrah with mom and dad before she goes back to school as a senior at Aww. Indiana Wesleyan. So we went to Cincinnati, and we went to a Reds game Friday night. And uh, we got all-you-can-eat seats, of course. Please and, tell us how much you ate oh, at some point. I gorged myself. It was so bad. It was <laughs> terrible. It, it, gluttony, it's a sin. Okay? It's real. <laughs> uh, but the Reds, in the bottom of the ninth, 0-0 score, bottom of the ninth, and uh, walk-off home run. Oh, my gosh. By one of the rookies, and they win 1-0. That's which is my favorite. so much fun. Yes. And that was the game we were at. But they lost on Saturday and Sunday. Got killed on Sunday. So we got we, we made it to the game on the weekend, which they won. That was fun. Saturday, we went to the Western Southern Open tennis tournament. Really fun. Got to see Carlos Alcaraz win in the semifinals. Nice. And Coco Goff win in the semifinals. And Coco Goff, if you are tennis fans out there, she won the finals, which was so much fun for us. And then... Carlos lost to Djokovic in the finals last night oh. in a classic 5-7-7-6-7-6. Djokovic gets the win. So for all you tennis fans out there, if you're Joker fans, you are celebrating this morning. <laughs> so that's fine. Then on Sunday, we went to Kings Island. So we went to amusement park and got the dining plans. So we got a meal every 90 minutes. I do not know how you ride roller coaster <laughs> rides and then it's, eat every 90 minutes. <laughs> I, every roller coaster ride, I feel like I'm going to throw up. It's but. impressive. It really is. Well, you basically ride, you, you ride two rides and then you get another meal. I and don't know how you do it, And ride two rides and get another meal. That's basically <laughs> what happens. So, Because by the time you kind of check in and buy your meal... You kind of you eat for like thirty minutes or twenty minutes, thirty minutes. So then you'll have an hour right. of riding rides, and then you could eat again. It's, it's 
crazy. You need to like film this because <laughs> film I've the day. seen you eat at all you can eat things. And I'm just like, I don't know how you go it's on a roller coaster crazy. after that. It's disgusting, actually. Amazing. I did not throw up, though, believe it or not. Impressive. So great weekend for the Shigley family. We're back in the office today and get to do this podcast with my friend Jen. So it's terrific. It's great. Um, now, for our listening audience, Jen uh, has several degrees. <laughs> master's degree, Master's of Divinity, right, mm -hmm. from Princeton. And then you got your PhD from Duke. I did my D-Men at Duke. <gasps> D-Men at yes. Duke, okay, which yeah. is great. And your focus was, tell us what your focus was uh, for your doctorate. So the focus of my program was the tradition of forming Christian leaders. Okay. And then I opted to write about transformational mentoring. Oh, wow. For my dissertation. That's great talk. Yeah. And that's what we want to discuss today because mentoring is such an important aspect of the church today. And so we get to talk about this. And the, I think the miracle is that you get your graduate work done at Princeton and Duke and you still love Jesus. That's the miracle. <laughs> it, they are good places that okay, can good. form good Christians. Okay, good. That's awesome. But, but really, I think it's the work of the Holy Spirit in my life that has, like the Spirit has journeyed yes. with me through all of this. Yes. And so. Praise the Lord for the Holy Spirit. That's right. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's go on. Let's dive into mentoring. Tell us, Jen, what you learned about mentoring. What is mentoring, and what are some of the origins of mentoring? Talk to us a little bit about that, what you discovered through your doctoral work. Sure. Yeah, well, the funny thing is I started writing about mentoring, and I thought it was like a very unimpressive topic coming out of Duke. <laughs> <laughs> I thought people are just going to roll their eyes at me and think I— wrote a self-help book by the time I'm done. Um, well, there's Jen talking about mentoring again. Exactly. Isn't that sweet and kind and fluffy? And so I decided as I was writing, I hit this point where I was kind of stuck. And then I realized I didn't really dive very deep into like the tradition of like where this word emerged from. Mm. And so as I started reading about it, I found out it's actually connected to Homer's The Odyssey, mm -hmm. which I read in high school and completely didn't yeah. remember anything about right. what I read. But I went to Marion High School, so we probably didn't have to read Homer. <laughs> At least I didn't remember it. Well, they I made did. me read it at good old Glendora, but <laughs> wow. I think we read like a certain chapter of it and then had to report on it. But it was a disaster, and I don't remember much of it. But, but there's I, this character named Mentor in the Odyssey. And he's kind of an important character. Okay. So he's the friend, um, the, the close, trusted companion of King Odysseus. Yes. And so King Odysseus has to go off to the Trojan War, mm -hmm. and he has a son, Telemachus, that he's concerned about who has to be raised to be the next king of Ithaca. In case and, he doesn't come back. In case he doesn't come back. Mm -hmm. So he enlists the help of his friend, Mentor, to be in charge of raising his child wow. to become the next king. And so, so he's mentoring him to be, become the next king. Yes, that is where we get the term. Wow. And I think it's so fascinating because... He has Mentor do it, and Mentor's never been a king. Mm -hmm. So I, like, kind of in the back of my head just asked the question, well, how did Mentor know how, how to, to be mentor a, good a king? king? Yeah. And so you see throughout the story he has these character qualities, like he's a, a trusted counselor to Telemachus. He has a parental role. Um, at times he sometimes shows up as Athena, the goddess of wisdom in the story, mm -hmm. And so there's just this beautiful richness to the role that mentor plays in this story. And that's like kind of the origins of where that word emerged from. Yeah. And so that's great. it gave like a new depth. Way back to thousands of years ago. Yeah. 
when yeah. this when this story was written. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you can look at scripture, too, and see many of these relationships that develop that are these trusted companion, um, you know, wise counselor, Mm -hmm. but like the story of people journeying together. And um, really, those can be defined as, air quotes, mentoring relationships. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's great. So, I, you know, partly, too, I've, I've always fascinated, and we've talked about this in some of our grad classes, that that we have mentoring, and we talk about that a lot in the church context. And of course, you know, in Scripture, it talks about being a disciple of Jesus. So you got mentoring, you have discipleship, you have counseling, which is a whole other field of, of counseling, which talks about kind of our past and some of our past issues and problems and how yeah. to overcome those past issues and problems with the help of the Holy Spirit. And you have coaching, which is more forward-looking, looking to the future and setting some goals and some things like that. And a coach helps you to set goals and then to attain those goals. But what do you see as the difference between mentoring and discipleship? Yeah, that's a question I get asked a lot. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure that my answer is sufficient for a lot of people. <laughs> I would say mentoring, the way that I kind of separate the two is I think discipleship always has a spiritual component to mm-hmm. it. Mentoring is part of discipleship, but I think like within discipleship, there is a spiritual understanding always. Mm-hmm. Um, with mentoring, it could you could kind of separate out the faith component of it. There's a lot of mentoring in corporate settings Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. The Harvard Business Review writes a lot about mentoring, actually, and some of their articles are really interesting if you're looking for kind of a short read, but like some good information. But really what's fascinating is like people who have been mentored Mm. historically and according to research tend to have like higher job satisfaction they get more promotions. They tend to just overall have a more positive outlook on life. And they also tend to mentor more. So I think those are like some fun facts yeah. about mentoring. That's cool because basically you're saying through research, mentoring works. It really does. Yeah. It yeah. helps to uplift others in terms of maybe growing professionally or even growing spiritually in their walk toward with Jesus. Right. So I can remember some of my doctorate work. I argued with my one of my professors. Can you believe that? <laughs> Shocking. Shocking. Um, <laughs> and we're talking about mentoring and discipleship. And I can't remember his exact definition, but it was interesting. He said something like, discipleship is all about discipling people to become just like you. Mm. And mentoring is just helping that person to grow. Oh, okay? I like that. Yeah. And, and but my, my, my point in my case and what I was arguing is, well, I don't want people, I don't want to disciple people to become just like me. Mm-hmm. I want to disciple people for them to become like Jesus. Right. Like I'm, I'm flawed. I'm, I'm a human. I've got a lot of things that are not great. Right. You know what I mean? And there's some things that I do well, but there's some things I don't do well. Some things that I, I, I do poorly. And so I don't want to disciple people to come like me. I want them to disciple people like Jesus. And so I'm making this argument. We're going back and forth in email, back and forth, back and yeah. forth, back and forth. And this is how it is because profs always win. Okay. <laughs> Professor always wins. Sorry out there if you're listening and you're a student somewhere at Wesley Seminary or some other seminary. Um, he ends the conversation with his email and he says, well, Eddie, it just sounds like you would be more comfortable with mentoring huh. than discipling. That is hilarious. Yeah. Huh. And that's how he ended the conversation. If you don't want people, if you don't want to disciple people to become like you, then you should be engaged in mentoring. Huh. 
Huh. Yeah. You know, I'm trying to decide if I would probably like be on your side of the argument. Oh, thank you, Jim. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, because that's one of my number one myths about mentoring that I, I talk mm-hmm. about is the the myth that I I have to duplicate myself. Yes. I really don't think that's the point of mentoring and actually use Romans 12 as a launching yes. point for that as that call to not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Mm-hmm. And I really believe that mentoring is a process of watching a person transform into mm. who God has created them to be, not not being transformed or I would say duplicated into who I am. Yes. You know, because God forbid they turn into me. Yes, exactly. (laughs) It's, it's, I don't want that. Mm -hmm. Okay, you bring a great point about these mentoring myths. So, myth number one, kind of synchronize that for us, bring us clarity. Myth number one is you have to duplicate yourself. You have to duplicate yourself. Okay. Um, Because I think sometimes we use this term mentoring because mentoring is a buzzword, okay, in our culture, in our society, definitely a buzzword in the church. Right. And so sometimes we think that mentoring is about finding this sage, this guru, this person that we really look up to who's really good at whatever they do. Right. And I want to go and sit at their feet and learn from them. Right. Okay. But you're saying that is not necessarily the case. Right. We we are not trying to duplicate ourselves. Right. We're moving from so Lois Zachary, who wrote a great mentoring book. It's called The Mentor's Guide. And it's written actually for educators, but I think it translates really well into ministry settings. Mm -hmm. She talks about moving from being the sage on the stage to being the the guide on the side. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really powerful move because then what I think happens is it opens the door for you to be mentored by people who may not be even in the same field that you're in, but you can glean from their wisdom Mm -hmm. and in the same way as a mentor, you can pour into somebody who maybe isn't on the same trajectory as you. Right. But because the the whole goal isn't to duplicate yourself. Mm-hmm. So you're actually calling out those gifts and helping people see what's happening in them, letting them talk a little bit and then giving them some wisdom on like, so what I'm hearing you say is, you know, mm-hmm. um, but it's not exactly coaching because I think in coaching, we ask those questions and we try to get help the person get the answer that's yes, within. Yes. But what I think they're just men- dis- they're discovering the solution to their own problems. We're just the coach is just asking really good questions. Right. Yeah. Right. And it's more than that, I think, in mentoring because the the transformative process is really making space for God's work in a person mm-hmm. to emerge in that relationship, that right. actual journey together facilitates a community that allows the transformation to yes. happen. What's well, interesting because a piece of my doctorate was coaching, so I kind of did an emphasis in coaching, nice. executive level coaching, life coaching, that sort of thing, and uh, and so I coach a lot of pastors and a, a bunch of our students and things of that nature, which I love. It's so much fun, but I'd probably call myself a mentor coach. Hmm. Okay, and here's the reason why: there's there's a lot of times when I coach pastors, and I can think of several specific examples. A lead pastor will say to me. 
Eddie, stop asking me questions. Just tell me what to do. Okay. <laughs> I you know, they, that. they get frustrated. They want to get to the point. <laughs> right. Right. Because coaching is taking the long route of where you keep on asking questions to help them to maybe understand or for them to kind of figure out this problem yeah. and kind of help them figure out the solution. But you're you're asking a bunch of questions to help them understand and for yourself to understand right. what's going on. Right. And it's just, I just crack up when they say that. And when they say that, I say, do you want me to mentor you or do you want me to coach you? I love that. Right? Yes. And, and they say, oh, okay, I really, I want you to mentor me right now, but I really want coaching. I say, okay, then I'm going to continue to ask questions. But then there's times when I find myself then giving advice. So right. now I'm entering to mentoring Right. when I'm giving advice and not just coaching when I'm asking questions. Right. Right. So that's kind of it. So I call myself really a mentor coach and that not makes sense. a pure coach or a pure mentor. Yeah. And I think the more that you do both, the the more challenging it is to separate out the yes. two. You know, yeah. I think they they really do work well together. And yeah. the in the same way I think discipleship can work yes. well with mentoring a lot of times. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just it's I think relationships are so deeply important. And I reflect back even on my hesitation to study mentoring because it felt too fluffy. Mm. And I find myself saying this a lot now that a lot of times we mistake the relationships as fluff when mm-hmm. they're really the glue. It's the glue. It's and the people skills, it right? Totally it's the emotional is. intelligence. It's being able to read the room, read people's, read people's emotions. It is. Yeah. yeah. So myth number one, I really like it because when you think about every single person is uniquely made by God. Right. Okay. And they're uniquely made in that they, we have different personalities. We have different gifts. We have different strengths on the strengths finder. We have different personalities. We have different spiritual gifts. Therefore, I don't want, I don't want to remake myself. Right. Right. Because I really need to lean into how God has created that person. And, and yet I think that's one, also one of the, not only myths, but one of the traps we fall into as mentors. Yeah. We are really trying to make them like, we're trying to remake ourselves. Right. When instead we need to help them to become who God has created them to be. Yes. And to discern that and to understand that. Talk about that a little bit because that's a, that's a subtle change, but I think it's an important change. Yeah. I think, well, I actually, as you were saying that, I think sometimes that's a little bit of our dysfunction too on the mentor side where we're trying to work out some things in ourselves by fixing another person to become the more ideal part of like who we think we should be. Yeah. And so I think there's a little bit of psychology at work in there sometimes. Yes. So saying that the myth is that we must duplicate ourselves frees us to be ourselves too mm. in a more authentic yes. way. Genuine authenticity, transparent. Yeah. Yes. The good and the bad. Mm-hmm. So we're not aiming at perfection here. Mm-hmm. What we're aiming at is truly being true to the person God has mm-hmm. um, created us to be. Yeah. And and I think that that helps a lot of times, too, when I'm talking to, like, our program is 50% students of color and 50% women. Mm-hmm. And I think within that, I mean, even my own journey as a woman in ministry, there's some insecurity there in saying, mm. like, am I really invited to the table? Yes. And I think... And even when you're invited to the table... Do I have a voice at the table? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And do I even like the sound of my own voice at the table? You know, all of those things that in this journey we're working out. And so 
I think that in that shared space of journeying together and saying, we're going to discover more of who God has made us to be. Mm-hmm. It actually like allows us as the mentor to really embrace who God has made us. And then in doing that invites the other person mm-hmm. to be more truly who God has created them to be. Because I believe that God makes room at the table for a lot of weird people. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, it's so awesome. It's so true. It's so much better when you're like, I mean, I think of the times that God has just like blown my mind with like what has happened in the life of a person mm-hmm. where I had mm-hmm. very low expectations mm-hmm. of them. And I'm even sad to admit that sometimes. I mean, I've been a youth pastor, too, and you see that kid walk in the door and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, boy, here mm-hmm. comes so-and-so, right. you know. And Don't see the potential in that person yet. No, but I'm sure there's something there, God, because you say you put your image <laughs> right. in people. So, you know, but then you see them grow and you're like, wow, mm-hmm. I wouldn't, if I was trying to manipulate who that person was becoming, I would never have thought this yes. was possible. Yes. And then you see like God just like bringing out gifts in people. And um, right. I think about one of the young women who came into our program and she had been in a music program and then she was in a teaching program and then she landed in the school of theology and wasn't really sure, you know, why she was even there. <laughs> Still trying to discern her calling. Oh, my gosh. What does this look like? What does this mean? Right, exactly. And then I had her in one of my preaching classes, and I was like, oh, my gosh, you have a speaking gift. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how that's going to play out in you, but... And she's now a youth pastor, and Mm -hmm. I'm just, like, amazed at... And she has a very different style of teaching than I would have. Mm -hmm. Um, I probably wouldn't have even identified it had I not been her faculty member. Yeah. But just seeing her grow into a very powerful speaker, it's mm-hmm. just it's so cool to see that. Right. So my mentor, some of you people would know this, uh, my youth pastor growing up, his name's Jerry Pattengale. It's Dr. Jerry Pattengale. Nice. And he's here on faculty at NN Wesleyan and and just a great, great guy. So when I became a youth pastor, I didn't know what to do. So instead of saying what would Jesus do, I often said, what would Jerry do, because huh. I remember him being so impactful in my life as a youth pastor. So that mentoring relationship, okay, and in a sense being duplicated. And so <laughs> I, I, when I became a youth pastor, and I'm sitting in my office and sitting at my desk and going, what next? What do I do now with this massive right. office and very few books on the shelf, right? And you just graduated from college, and you're going, I don't really know how to do ministry. I mean, yeah. these, these practical ministry classes, are they really going to make sense right, right now as I'm doing ministry? And I, I can remember that first year, I didn't know what to do. So what would Jerry do? What would Jerry do? What would Jerry do? And then I realized I can't be Jerry. Yes. I need to be who God has created me. Right. And instead of speaking like Jerry, I needed to learn a speaking style and a preaching style that fit me right. and who God created me to be within my own gifts and my own personality. And I had to become a youth pastor that made sense to me, right. that fit my own gifts and my own personality and who God created me to be. And Jerry was helpful for me to understand youth pastoring, and he was helpful in helping me to grow spiritually, but I he didn't want to duplicate himself. Right. You know, that was not his intention, even though I took it that way. Right. And tried to apply it 
to my life and realize that doesn't work. Right. And I think there's some maturity in that on the side of the mentor that needs to be there because the reality is when we're making an impact on someone's life, they might initially think that like they want to be more like you. Mm -hmm. And I think understanding that there's a process that needs to happen in us as mentors, like where that doesn't have to be the end game. Like we don't have to be the hero of the story, Yes, but we recognize that there's moments that we will be, but we hold that loosely Mm -hmm. with the other side where sometimes the people we mentor become better than us, you know, (laughs) they're better at speaking. Mm -hmm. They're running a bigger church Mm there, you know? So I think that's where we have to hold all of that loosely but we can't like be afraid too of making an impact on people's lives and and there are elements of when people hang out with each other they become a little like each other too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's true. Um, you really do. So, you start talking <laughs> the same. I know. Sometimes I say things that twenty year olds are saying and I'm like, wait, that's right. not going to work for me in the real world. <laughs> when I, when I when I come home and uh, all of a sudden I'm using phrases like. Dude, yeah. or calling my wife, bro, <laughs> right. and my wife will turn at me and go, "You've been hanging out with Charlie, haven't yeah. you?" <laughs> so here's the tea, <laughs> you know. <laughs> all of a sudden, my vocabulary has changed because I've been hanging out with a certain person a lot. Right. Yeah. Right. But that's so true, and I, I don't think that's bad. No, it's not necessarily bad at all. Yeah, right. but I think that if the if like all of our meaning comes from turning people into our clones, yes. that's where it gets a little dangerous, you know. Because I think really the insecurity emerges when you see somebody who you were mentoring rise above you and you're like, wait a second. second. I'm supposed to be the teacher. I'm supposed to be the mentor. Right. And now some more the mentee. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And And I I like how you say, you know, we got to hold that loosely and be okay with that. Um, Because I know a a lot of those kids, I'm using quotes, air quotes right Right. now. Those kids that grew up in my youth ministries or different aspects of ministry through the years. And now they are. They're at these mega churches and they're doing phenomenal things for Jesus. And they're getting leadership roles in different places. And and I'm no longer, they still call me their youth pastor, but really we're friends. And in a sense, I am learning from them. I'm learning a lot from them. And so we need to hold this, that responsibility that we once had and that mentoring role that we once had in their lives. And God still is using that, but hold that loosely and be okay that maybe they've gone further than we have in certain ways or certain areas, or they're better than we are in certain things. And that's okay. Right. In fact, we need to celebrate that. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's helpful when I was reading about mentoring, just to see that um, it's actually pretty healthy for mentoring relationships to change. Mm-hmm. And so um, if you find you've mentored someone for a while and then you you kind of feel more like a friend or even if the relationship just ends, mm-hmm. not in like a cut off kind of mm-hmm. way, but it just it's not needed like it used to be. Mm-hmm. It's actually really that's a okay. healthy pro- progression. Yeah. yeah. OK, you mentioned one myth. What's another myth about mentoring? This is one of my favorites. OK, that there's not just the one Um, You're not going to find the one perfect mentor who's going to satisfy every one of your needs from your personal life to your professional life to everything in between. Mm. Um, Marriage, parenting, ministry, student, whatever. Right. There's not the one. Mm -hmm. So I believe in, I haven't found a word that I really like, though. Some people will call it your mentoring constellation. Others will say um, your personal board of directors, 
your mentoring community. There's like, I haven't framed it yet in the way that I like to, but Mm -hmm. um, I think it's just important to realize like everybody's a flawed human. Yes. (laughs) Uh, So they're not going to be perfect at everything, but find the people who need to be on your team and have multiple people. That's Um, good. Yeah. Because you might have like um, someone you really look up to as um, a couple that's older Mm -hmm. and you might go, man, man, I want a marriage to look like that. Or I want our parenting to look like that. But you may have a different ministry mentor. Right. Right? Or uh, a different aspect of your life. You may have a different mentor. So you may even have three or four different mentors at one time in one sense or another. And they may lean into your space differently, or they may lean into it at different phases or times in your life. Right. But they may not be the one all-encompassing mentor for every aspect of your life. Right, yeah. right. So you're not cheating on your mentor by getting like an extra, like right. getting additional people in your life. But I think... Just don't cheat on your spouse. Right. No, do not cheat on your spouse. I am not advocating for that. Um, you can't cheat on your mentor. <laughs> It's not cheating. (laughs) Sorry, sorry. (laughs) I think Stanley and Clinton frames it pretty well with there's three different kinds of mentors. There's the intensive, which is the type of mentor that's in your life on a regular basis. The middle one is occasional. Mm -hmm. And that's someone who maybe is in your life for a A season. season. Yeah. And then the last category, and I I was telling you a little earlier, it's called um, passive. And I don't really like, I would probably name it something other than passive because that sounds like somebody who isn't all that um, Involved in your life, invested. Okay, yeah. Um, Maybe, or that you don't have a lot of investment in. Um, That passive mentor is maybe somebody you don't even know. They don't Mm -hmm. even have to be alive anymore. So, you know, some people like the leadership of Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. He could Teddy be, Roosevelt's my mentor. Yeah, totally. Oh, <laughs> you're your not that old, mentor. are you? <laughs> I would rename it, though. I would call it your influencer. Okay. Um, and I think that is a term that we understand a lot more now with the yes, rise of the influencer. Social media, right. Yeah. So those, I think those categories are helpful okay. in framing it. It's great. Let's, let's pause on that one because I want us to go further with this idea of these three types of mentors and how they apply to the church setting, yeah. Uh, as we're thinking of as pastors and youth pastors mentoring people inside the church, because those are three different kinds of roles that you might have in someone's life. Right. So let's pause there. Jen, thanks so much, man. We, this has been fun and just That's learning a lot about mentoring already in this first session. So we're going to come back with a part two, but Jen, thank you so much. Thank you. That wraps it up. Boom. Boom. We would like to thank the School of Theology and Ministry at Indiana Western University for allowing us to use their podcast studio and their facilities. I also want to thank the Called Collective for producing all of our podcasts. The Called Collective seeks to equip the next generation of ministry leaders. To find out more information, visit thecalledcollective.org or check us out on Instagram at The Called Collective. Once again, thank you for listening to a couple of old guys Talking about ministry principles, we have over 70 years of ministry experience, and we'll see you next week.